Hi everyone, welcome back to the Harbinger VC podcast. Today we have joining us Peter Chang, who is founding partner at Eminence Ventures. Eminence just raised $120 million for its second fund, focused on backing Chinese enterprise software and cloud startups. After a decade of torrid startup growth driven by mobile and consumer internet, China's enterprise software market is poised for a breakout and expected to reach $40 billion in revenue in 2025. Peter shares with us his formative experiences across eBay, AdChina, which is an ad tech startup that he founded that was acquired by Alibaba, and Tencent, where he was GM of ad products before launching his career as a venture capitalist. Peter provides an overview of China's cloud market, key opportunities across horizontal and vertical software, AI, and IT infrastructure. He describes key success factors and go-to-market strategy for such companies, including for portfolio companies T-Sign and Recurrent.ai. Finally, Peter illustrates key differences between the U.S. and Chinese environments and how that impacts the development trajectory of software companies. Hope you guys enjoy. Hi, Peter. Thanks so much for joining us today. And uh, you know, appreciate you taking the call at 10 p.m. It's, uh, it's pretty late. Uh, clearly, you and your team are working uh, uh, very hard. Uh, and also, um, you know, congrats on closing $120 million for Eminence Ventures uh, Fund 2. Oh, thank you, Adam. Yeah, it's not too late here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the 996 culture in China, right? Still, uh, yeah. still strong in effect. Um, so, you know, with, with you today, there's a lot to talk about. Um, you've had a very storied career as a mm-hmm. uh, you know, manager at corporate, uh, entrepreneur, uh, and also investor across both the U.S. and China. So mm-hmm. you, know, you worked at Oracle, uh, eBay, and at the Tencent in China, and then you mm-hmm. set up Eminence Ventures and are investing in Chinese cloud companies. So yep. I was thinking, you know, where to start? Perhaps um, tell us a bit more about yourself first. You know, where you're from, and what are some of your formative experiences? Okay, uh, I was born and raised in Taiwan, uh, so I was educated in Taiwan. I went to college, uh, Jiao Tong University based in uh, Xinzhu Science Park. Um, I was trained as a computer engineer. And then right after college, uh, serving two years in the army, then I went to the state for my MBA. So I attended uh, Indiana University. Um, so pretty much after uh, MBA, I stayed in the state for about 14 years, um, working for three very large companies, uh, FedEx, Oracle, and eBay, all at global headquarters, and then uh, a couple of startups in Silicon Valley. Um, so that's pretty much you know before I um, came to China. And in mm-hmm. 2007, I co-founded a company called uh, Ed China, and moved back to uh, Shanghai. Uh, that's pretty much uh, how I uh, you know got connected to China. And then mm-hmm. uh, after that, and I joined Tencent. Uh, as a general manager of uh, advertising platform. And then after Tencent, I started my VC career. Yeah. Mm, got it. I mean, those are, there's a lot that happened during those two decades. I mean, I think you mentioned eBay, right? So when yes. you were working at eBay, did you, were you mostly in the Bay Area? Did you help them um, you know, come to China and try to enter the China market in the early 2000s? Um, I was at eBay for more than four years. So most of the time when I was at eBay, I was based in San Jose, the headquarters. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. during my last six months, 
uh, when I was at eBay, I was actually sent over to Shanghai to help with uh, the company that eBay acquired. So eBay acquired a company called HNet. Uh, so mm -hmm. I was uh, on a short-term assignment uh, mm -hmm. in China, helping them with product marketing and BizDev. So that's pretty much my first taste of China. <laughs> mm -hmm. I see, I see. Yep. Yeah, I, um, yeah. I, I think uh, you know, during that period, uh, a number of U.S. companies try to enter the China market. Some of them were successful. I think some of the more prominent names, you know, the Uber, eBay, etc., they, they they hit some challenges coming to China. I think the Western mindset doesn't, or the the approach that they had didn't always work. What was your experience like when you were sent over to China? Did you see some of those differences? What were some of the experiences that you had there? Um, I think. Um, during that six months period, I did see firsthand the fierce competition, the battle against uh, Alibaba's Taobao. And then uh, mm -hmm. I did learn a couple of things. Uh, I think one thing is um, the Western mindset sometimes didn't work uh, in mm -hmm. China. For mm -hmm. example, uh, eBay made a lot of acquisitions previously in Europe. You know, in France, in Germany, uh, and then pretty much immediately moving them to the eBay's main platform. And when eBay make the acquisition uh, of HNet, uh, the first thing they did was to move them to the global platform. And you know what? When you do that, you slow hmm. down the development of local features. And when mm -hmm. you are trying to compete against Alibaba, and you launch features much slower and and it can be very hard to compete because mm -hmm. uh, your your competitor is launching features very quickly but now that you have moved your uh you know china platform to the global platform then you are prioritizing all the features against other features in germany in france and in uk I so see. It's, it was very hard yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah got it Got it. Yeah. I mean, the importance of localization uh, can be overemphasized. This is relevant for companies as well as for venture capital funds as well. Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, we've been doing this podcast for a couple of years. We brought this up before too, but when you look at some of the global VC funds, the tier one funds, whether it's Sequoia, uh, you know, Matrix and a few others, they have pretty localized teams in China, uh, you know, separate yeah. teams doing deals and IC committees. I mean, they're linked, you know, to varying degrees, but um, I mean, this is, basically the, the, the norm at this point. <laughs> um, yeah, and also the culture is very different. For example, mm. I still remember uh, one of the eBay cultures was that people are basically good, right? So when you buy a product on eBay, you pretty much just pay first via PayPal or you know credit card, mm. Mm. expecting the product to show up at your door a few days later. You don't even mm. think about that, you just pay right away. Um, but uh, that trust was not there um, for China. So buyers didn't trust that the seller will ship the product. So mm -hmm. Alibaba back then created a escrow mechanism. So when you right. buy the product, you did not pay the seller. You pay to Alibaba first, that mm. Alipay product. It's kind of like escrow and yep. they hold the money until the buyer um, received the product as advertised and you mm -hmm. tell Alipay that I receive it 
and they release that money to the seller. So, so yep. the culture is different. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, especially a place like China, like that, that trust requirement is, uh, is, is very important. So it's kind of like table stakes to even execute at all. Um, so got it. Okay. So, so that was, um, part of your story before uh, you became a venture capitalist. And uh, can you tell us a bit more about when you started investing into companies uh, and how that led to Eminence Ventures? Yeah, so when I first got into uh, VC, um, I joined a boutique uh, VC firm based out of Taipei. So I was the partner, the only partner based in China, uh, primarily uh, responsible for their internet investment. Uh, because I wasn't in finance or you know venture capital background um, back then, um, mm -hmm. I had a mentor who was uh, Jason Green, the founding managing partner of Emergence Capital, based out of Silicon Valley. Uh, because Jason uh, was a angel investor in Ad China, the company I co-founded, and mm -hmm. when I got into VC business. And he was, you know, one of the few people I knew that has been a very successful uh, venture capitalist. Mm -hmm. So every time I went back to the state, I would make an appointment with him and then, mm -hmm. you know, talk about VC, talk about the challenges I encountered. So uh, slowly he became, my, uh, he became my mentor. And then, mm -hmm. so um, I think it was toward the end of 2016, uh, my partner, Simon, and I uh, decided we should probably be launching a very focused fund because the boutique uh, VC fund that when we were in, they were investing across all the sectors. Uh, mm -hmm. We wanted to be more focused. So mm -hmm. Simon and I decided to launch a new fund focusing on uh, enterprise cloud. And we also got that inspiration from Emergence as well. Mm. Got it. I mean, Emergence has an uh, incredible track record investing in general, especially in the cloud area. I mean, some Absolutely. of their some of their hits were like uh, Salesforce. I think it was the early one. Zoom, you know, clearly as your Series C lead investor, and and many more. Um, and that's a yeah. great company to be in. So for, for your so for the first Eminence Ventures Fund One, then, uh, in you know for that one, how did you go about uh, launching it? So I guess Jason was a mentor of yours. How were you able to raise capital? You know, what, what did you invest in? Tell us a bit more about that. Um, it was really hard, to be honest. Um, you know, <laughs> right. not coming from a VC background, um, as you could imagine, um, it's very hard to get uh, institutional investor to invest in our fund one. Um, so uh, mm -hmm. we went after our network, our friends, and our friends' friends. Um, right. So um, pretty much we reach out to our network and we were quite lucky. Uh, there were about 80 individuals who believed in us and mm -hmm. they became our LPs in our fund one. Uh, so that's how we got started. So pretty much, you know, friends mostly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. And how big was that first fund that, that you raised? Uh, we raised about $37 million for our fund one mm -hmm. across two currencies. So we have, we mm -hmm. have about 60% in the U S dollar fund 
and 40% yep. in the RMB fund. Got it. Okay. That, that's pretty big for a first time effort. <laughs> 30, you know, $37 is million dollars is not, uh, not chump change. And, um, you know, for the first fund, um, you mentioned you wanted to launch a focus fund. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about that strategy? Like what were you investing in when it comes to enterprise software? Um, yes. Um, so if you look at our background, um, I built a financial application, uh, CRM application and, you know, infrastructure software in the APM space, uh, marketing technologies and advertising platform, et cetera. So it's mostly uh, B2B enterprise. Um, so mm -hmm. naturally uh, when we wanted to choose a focus, uh, there was the one uh, because we, we were product and you know, computer engineer with uh, sales and operating background. And right. throughout our career, we also got to know a lot of people, um, you know, pretty much all of the brands, the big brands um, and very extensive network. So we thought the enterprise cloud would be a natural mm -hmm. uh, sector for us. Mm -hmm. And then if you look at from the very top, um, I would say there are three um, uh, areas. One will be the horizontal uh, SaaS. For example, ERP, CRM, human mm -hmm. capital management, uh, productivity and collaboration. And then vertically, uh, I think uh, if you look at emergence, uh, one of their uh, things is industry cloud pretty much, you know, all the vertical SaaS uh, industry mm -hmm. cloud. Mm -hmm. And at the very bottom is infrastructure. For example, uh, storage, database, data warehouse, security, uh, you know, DevOps tools, et cetera. So those mm -hmm. are the three main areas we look at. Obviously, uh, artificial intelligence is very important, but they can mm -hmm. be applied across all the different uh, applications or infrastructure software. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay. So, all right. So you're looking at the entire stack, um, and, uh, and there's a, there's a lot lot to invest in across these different areas. Mm -hmm. And 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 the fund is purely focused on China, correct? It doesn't do anything. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, China only. China only. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Um. All right, so I mean, so you kind of helped us uh, break down the different areas that you evaluate and invest in. Can you give us a couple of examples of portfolio companies that you invested into, and what are some of the you know the, the learnings or realizations along the way for how they developed? Um, absolutely. So when we first got started uh, in uh, 2017, we had our first close in August 2017. Mm -hmm. We wanted to be focused. So a couple areas that we were familiar with, uh, one was obviously CRM. And so one of the companies we invested uh, is called the Recurrent. Uh, mm -hmm. What they do is they use natural language processing, the AI, to understand and process the conversations between your telesales people and the prospect. Mm -hmm. And they analyze the uh, the conversations and empower your telesales people to make them super sales. I think okay. that in, in the state, there are a few players, uh, for example, Gong.io, which is backed by Sequoia, 
and Chorus.ai and ASAPP, like another company called ASAP, uh, both of them funded by uh, Emergence. Uh, they are in the mm-hmm. similar uh, space, uh, mm-hmm. that's in the CRM space. And mm-hmm. another um, example will be e-signature. I think in the state, um, I think pretty much you don't sign paper much these days. Right. Um, but back in 2017, the penetration rate of e-signature in China was extremely low, probably maybe one to 3%, give or take. So very low. Mm-hmm. So we saw the opportunity and DocuSign didn't go public until 2018. So we thought that it would be a great timing to invest in an e-signature company. And so right. we invested in, uh, in T-Sign back then. And then T-Sign, okay. uh, luckily, uh, is becoming our first unicorn. <laughs> oh, uh, excellent. For, 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 for Eminence. So they have grown uh, a lot in the past, mm-hmm. um, you know, three plus years. I see, I see. Okay. Um, thanks for sharing those two examples. Maybe like just kind of uh, digging a bit deeper on T-Sign, mm-hmm. uh, right? It's the name of the company, T-Sign? Yeah, yeah t Got it. Yeah. Um, okay. So, yeah, I mean, as the, the, the I guess the, the, the Chinese um, uh, you know, market becomes more sophisticated and there's a shift towards kind of digital signature and things like that, Definitely mm-hmm. see this being increasingly a larger opportunity. I recall mm-hmm. a few years back, I think there were a few other companies in this space that raised fairly large amounts of funding. And it was like a Fa Da Da, and then mm-hmm. it was like a Shang Shang Chan, right? I forgot the English yeah. name for those companies. Shang Shang Chan is called Bet, yeah, Best Sign, and Fa Da Da Best Sign. Okay, and there's a T sign. Are there any any other players? And how how did it? How are they positioned against each other? Um, obviously, uh, when we look at the sector, there were over 30 players. Um, mm. We actually spoke to about 15 of those. And then uh, the three that you mentioned were actually the industry leaders, uh, BestSci, uh, TSci, and Fadada. And, mm-hmm. um, and at that time, okay. the other two players were better funded, uh, better funded. Um, but uh, we look at the sector and determine that product and technology might not be the success factor because, mm-hmm. um, you know, e-signature is e-signature, right? Um, imagine if so-called BAT, um, you know, Baidu, Alibaba, Tencent, if they want to launch an e-signature service, it should not be too hard. So we are talking right. about more or less a commodity product, e-signature service. Mm-hmm. So if the product technology is not the, uh, the determined uh, success factor, so what are the others? So mm-hmm. at that time, we came to the conclusion that uh, one of them is gonna be go to market. So we mm-hmm. like uh, Mr. Jing, the CEO, uh, Mr. Jing used to work at uh, Alibaba in the so-called Iron Army uh, as a salesperson. Uh, and <laughs> so he has uh, this uh, 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 sales experience. And in the early days, uh, if you work in the Iron Army, for example, the CEO of DD, um, Chen Wei, he used mm-hmm. to be one of the soldiers in the Iron Army. So uh, you, right. can, you can Legendary. imagine. Yeah, 
So, and versus the other two uh, CEOs, I, I think we like this uh, go-to-market uh, background. And also uh, we uh, figure that Xnature, one of the big uh, users is gonna be the government. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, at that time, because this company, it's a very old company. They started back in 2002. So mm-hmm. because of that, they started as a e-chopping software service provider for mostly government agencies. So mm-hmm. over the years, they have accumulated all of the qualifications and credentials they are required to bid on government contract. You know, all of the you know, government contract, you have to go through a bidding mm-hmm. process. And right. in order to, um, you know, uh, to um, to join the uh, the the bidding process, uh, you need to submit your qualification and credentials, and they have all those, and those are the two um, factors that we uh, that cause us to decide that you know maybe uh, we should invest in uh, PSI. Got it. Got it. Okay. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Okay. So it's a fairly credited market. A lot of different players. The product itself is. Not necessarily the biggest differentiator. Go to market is important, and you mentioned the company is worth about one billion dollars, right? So the the unicorn status. Um, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm looking at the U.S. I just kind of looked this up online. So DocuSign would be the comparable company in the U.S. It's worth about thirty-eight billion dollars. I just want to. I mean, yeah. these are very different markets, but I'm just curious. Like, how do you think about you know what? Um, as the China market continues to develop, at what point does it, like how big can this company grow and what might explain such a large uh, valuation gap between a T-sign in China versus a DocuSign in the US? I think the penetration of e-signature is still quite low, uh, even today uh, in China. So mm-hmm. um, I think, uh, I still remember uh, the, the, the former uh, chairman and CEO of Alibaba, Jack Ma, say uh, this. Uh, you see because you believe. So the question is, do you believe that three, five, seven years down the road, uh, e-signature will be very popular uh, in China? And I think we have that conviction. Um, mm-hmm. It will take a few years. We don't know uh, when it would, you know, have penetration rate of over fifty or seventy percent, but I think it's going to come uh, by some of the, um, you know, the the, uh, mm-hmm. the policies that we have seen issued uh, mm-hmm. by the government. So it's right. moving through that direction, and so right. uh, I won't be surprised if there are multiple unicorns born out mm-hmm. of this sector. And then I, uh, see. I think still, um, you know, T-Sign still have a long way to go. So mm-hmm. we are holding on our uh, uh, our our stake. Uh, so, when, um, so after our investment, uh, Alibaba's and Financial, uh, you know, make the investment in our follow uh, following round. We even double down on that round. So mm. I think uh, we were pretty optimistic, optimistic about uh, T-Sign and also the, the entire sector overall. It sounds like a solid uh, development for the company. Um, and also, 
as you described that, so you're saying that the usage is growing, it's still fairly early. So I guess like that's one piece of it. Something I tend to think about when I look at China Chiefu, the enterprise mm -hmm. software and cloud deals is that mm -hmm. I think the current thought is that the willingness to pay by some of the companies isn't as high as you know it, it, it would be in the future. And also it, it's mm -hmm. not as high as that in the US. So mm -hmm. whether it's a company like T-Sign or it's a company like Recurrent, I guess, um, I guess you know, how do you think about what kind of products and software to invest into that people pay for? Maybe if we would take Recurrent AI as an example, because mm -hmm. as you were describing what they did, it kind of makes sense to me. It's like, okay, well, if you use Recurrent as a company, you might be able to generate higher sales, right? Because the mm -hmm. software literally helps you convert more deals or convert more leads. Mm -hmm. um, yep. Is that like, I wonder how you think about that? Uh, and mm -hmm. how important is that in, in terms of your investment strategy? Um, I think it's important because uh, we uh, invested in quite a few uh, so-called the uh, WeChat uh, CRM uh, companies mm -hmm. that help mm -hmm. enterprises uh, grow their uh, you know customer base, acquire new users, convert new users. And mm -hmm. I think we need to um, look at the U.S. market uh, as well. Uh, mm -hmm. For example, uh, I know there's a VC firm called Bessemer. They mm -hmm. have been tracking so-called emerging cloud companies. Right. Uh, and then I look at their state of the cloud report every year. Mm -hmm. um, if we go back to 2010 in the U.S., there was only one cloud unicorn, according to Bessemer. But last year, um, if you look at Forbes uh, Cloud 100, if you are not a unicorn, you will not even make it to the list. So mm -hmm. 10 years, huge difference, even in the States. And if you look at some of the cloud companies that have gone public, for example, uh, Kingsoft Office, it's about mm -hmm. $25 billion market cap. Right, Agora. Agora um, used to be like ten billion dollar market cap, probably down to like five billion, but still, you know, not small. Right. right. And if we were to look at uh, when Salesforce went public, Salesforce was like a one point one billion dollar company, and when Shopify went public, it was like maybe three four billion dollar company. It was small, but they grew over the years. That's the beauty mm -hmm. of the SaaS model, right? Right. So I think we need to look at the history, the cloud history uh, for the state and look at China. Uh, I think if you look ahead in the next 10 years, there will be tremendous growth. And mm -hmm. we actually have been studying some of the SaaS report, China's SaaS report from leading investment banks, for example, JP Morgan, Citibank, Credit Suisse, they all issue a SaaS market report, a China SaaS market report recently. According to JP Morgan, they predicted that by 2025, the market capitalization of China, uh, China SaaS companies will reach close to 1 trillion US dollars. And that's not mm. our prediction. It was from J.P. Morgan. So mm. I think maybe J.P. Morgan is more optimistic than even us. Right. Right. I see. So 
Oof. So, I mean, it seems like there's quite a bit of growth. Uh, or, I mean, there's a lot going on now, but the growth is just at a torrid pace. You mentioned Agora, um, it's a company that we've had on our podcast before a couple of years ago. And it's kind of interesting because back then, the co- it was back in 2017, they're probably worth a, about a couple hundred million dollars. And mm-hmm. I recall even, it was like 2019 fall before COVID, uh, they were still raising a, a round. I mean, they weren't even thinking about IPO. And then COVID certainly helped. I mean, I think there's a shift to digital and then it accelerated timeline and boom, they go IPO mm-hmm. at a you know, high valuation. There's been some fluctuations since, but that was just a couple of years. And I guess in 2025, if the JP Morgan report is, um, I guess, you know, reasonable ballpark, uh, that's basically what, like a one to 200 Agoras in China. Um, you know, could, I guess China's a large market. There's, there's plenty of companies. Yeah. If you so look at- Could be uh, doable. Another- yeah, another example is Mingyuan Cloud listed in Hong Kong. Mingyuan Cloud, uh, yeah. Market cap is about 80 billion Hong Kong dollars. So right. over 10 billion US dollars. Right. Uh, they are in the real estate SaaS. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, they, provided, uh, they provide ERP and CRM applications just for real estate developers. Right, right. So it's a, it's a, company uh, trading at more than 40, uh, 40x multiple. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, I think uh, there are quite a few examples. Uh, yep. this, uh, nice value, valuation, also decent, very strong uh, revenue uh, for the, the ones that we talked about. Right, 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 right. Got it. Okay. Well, so maybe just kind of thinking from the company's perspective. So as they're building software, uh, whether it's horizontal software or kind of vertical focused software for, for specific industries, what are these, what should these companies be thinking about? What, what are the key success factors for them? Uh, we, we brought this up earlier. I mean, it's kind of just, you know, in a, a, a thought or an opinion that I had, which is it tends to be easier to sell. We can help your client make money, right? Like, I guess mm-hmm. I would consider that to be a, one of the, the key success factors, maybe not the only one way to do it. But again, based on your experience and what you've seen, what are some of the key success factors for these companies? What should they be doing? What should they be emphasizing and prioritizing? Um, I think if you want to build an enterprise software company, you need to find uh, really uh, the true customer needs and solving mm-hmm. their pain points, right? Mm-hmm. And you can provide value by increasing productivity, increasing sales, or reducing uh, cost. Um, mm-hmm. I think uh, I think one is obviously you know finding the pain, the true pain points and delivering you know uh, superior product because uh, mm-hmm. we always uh, tell entrepreneurs from day one uh, if you want to uh, start your business you need to think about if Alibaba, Tencent, or ByteDance or Baidu uh, they are building similar product. How are you going to defend yourself? Right, mm-hmm. it's a very natural question. Um, so obviously, you do have a superior product. You have to move faster. Uh, you need to have unique go-to-market strategies, uh, and that work. That mm-hmm. will have to work. Mm-hmm. And then you have to uh, attract and retain talents. Uh, those are all key factors. Right. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. And uh, for these companies, you know, again, there's so many different types of software companies, but you know, I guess kind of a, at a high level, 
uh, when these companies start growing, building products, how should they sell? Like, who should they sell to? Should these be uh, SMB type companies? Should, it, should, it, should these be internet companies? Should these be like large, uh, I don't know, like state-owned enterprises? Um, wh like what, what should they keep in mind? Um, I think uh, there are quite a few opportunities across various sectors. Uh, mm -hmm. You can go after um, so-called key account, the big enterprises. Uh, that's where, um, you know, recurrent our portfolio company is going after the key account, you know, the largest insurance companies, uh, the largest banks, the largest, uh, you know, uh, online education companies. Uh, mm -hmm. Those are the people, those are the companies with most uh, telesales people. And you can also go after, uh, say, e-commerce sellers because there are so many e-commerce sellers. They have been educated by uh, Alibaba, uh, JD and Pinduoduo to mm -hmm. pay uh, for their services. So right. it's a very good sector, but most of them are SMBs because there are so many small sellers on their platform. I and see. I think there are a lot of opportunities. Um, but mm -hmm. if you are going after the regular SMBs, not really in the e-commerce sector, I think um, we still need to have a little bit more patience because their willingness and ability to pay uh, in the maybe the next year or two, maybe, um, we're still lacking. So we mm -hmm. need to have a little bit more patience. But mm -hmm. I think uh, if you're going after the mid-tier, Maybe that's a that's a good spot because they don't require a lot of customization, and they also have the scale, uh, and they have the ability and willingness to pay. Um, that would be my advice. If you can find, you know, and look, there are a lot of enterprises uh, in the mix uh, in the mix sector. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I see. I see. Yeah, it does feel like that go-to-market uh, playbook is a bit different in China versus the U.S. I mean, there's some there's some overlap in the U.S. I mean, you can go to a large accounts; it just takes a lot of effort. And like pushing a mm -hmm. like a deal through a large account is kind of like pushing a bill through Congress, right? Like some folks have described it that way. Uh, and then you have um, yep. uh, the typical playbook, which is uh, like could be freemium model, could be something, but uh, you get folks to try using your product. Sometimes the smaller companies mm -hmm. they use it and then they grow with you as you as you you know kind of as your the, as your key accounts over time. Um, in China, um, help us understand some of the differences there. You just mentioned that certain types of clients might have lower willingness to pay in the near term. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, that, that's part of it. What are some other differences? Uh, like, you know, for example, I don't know, like what, what is their level of IT maturity uh, at, at some of these companies? Um, like what, what are like their requirements when it comes to customization? Things like that. Like, how do how do you think through some of those differences? Um, I think for uh, large enterprises, um, a lot of them they have uh, special needs for customization. So when you build a software, it's very important you have this platform as a service in mind because you need to have that past layer that allow the large enterprises to build their own. Uh, functionality. Um, so mm -hmm. if you don't have that past layer, then you could be 
in the business of doing uh, professional services or customization. Right. Uh, so obviously the ticket size of one project could be quite big, but uh, it's not really scalable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. for uh, SMBs, if you are going after the SMBs, I would say um, I'm more optimistic. Uh, even though for the time being, their ability to uh, pay uh, and willingness to pay uh, is not quite like those in the States, but they are growing very fast. Um, mm -hmm. Because if you look at the key reason that US enterprises are so willing to pay for software, it's because mm -hmm. people are expensive, right? You know, the labor cost is so high. That's right. And anything you can do to increase the productivity of their employees, they're willing to pay. And China, uh, if you look at their uh, pay scale, uh, right now it's pretty pretty high, uh, particularly for professional workers. Uh, mm -hmm. If you want to, you know, um, hire a software engineer. Uh, you want to hire a uh, great designer, um, you know, great marketer, etc. Those people are very expensive. So mm -hmm. uh, I think um, the willingness and ability to pay uh, will will come in very quickly in the next, um, you know, couple of years. Right. Right. Yeah, I definitely see that happening as part of a greater macro trend. I mean. Uh, many people notice already, but in China, past 10 years have been incredible growth when it comes to these tech startups and venture capital industry. A lot of the uh, interesting or uh, kind of like fast and higher returning deals tend to be in consumer internet. Uh, but now yep. as GDP per capita hits what is like over 10K USD per capita at this point, uh, the, the cost is going up. And then there's more of a need to focus on efficiency, productivity, uh, reducing costs, in some cases, augmenting uh kind of uh you know some of the sales teams or sales capabilities as well so that does make a lot of sense mm, and also uh and also giants mm -hmm. like alibaba and tencent they have the mm. cloud services right they are mm. actually educating the the market uh to move everything to the cloud to ali cloud and tencent cloud and their cloud services are growing very fast right 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 yep um Okay, as we bring up the, the topic of cloud, so in terms of the Chinese clients, when they sign up for these cloud services and solutions, um, how do they choose between private cloud setups versus public? How might this impact how some of these software companies develop in this environment? Yeah, um, for example, um, Ali Cloud, uh, Tencent Cloud, and Huawei Cloud, for example, uh, they mm -hmm. all have public cloud services. So yeah. you can just go and open up an account and you know, subscribe, and they can give you 100 virtual machines in, in a few minutes. And then okay. uh, you can start launching your applications. And so uh, public cloud is um, it's no brainer. I mean, you can just use them. But some of the okay. enterprises, particularly bigger ones, or state-owned enterprises, they may be concerned about data security. So they yep. may not be willing to put their data or application on a public cloud. So in some cases, they may be uh, renting 
a server or a virtual machine from the cloud provider. So instead of uh, multi-tenant, and they still mm -hmm. use the cloud, but this virtual machine or you know this this server is dedicated to me, and no other uh, uh, clients uh, will be sharing um, mm -hmm. the space. So mm -hmm. uh, um, there are some um, stay-on enterprises or big uh, enterprises. They mm -hmm. they wanted to do it that way. Obviously, mm -hmm. it's gonna be more expensive, but their ability to pay is there. Uh, they wanted to do that. So if uh, that's the case, um, then you pretty much just put it on the uh, you know the cloud provider, either you know Alibaba or Tencent, and then mm -hmm. it you know it's still maintainable. But mm -hmm. uh, if they want the software to be installed on prem. Mm -hmm. then it will be more challenging because it's going to be similar to the model when I work at Oracle back, <laughs> in, uh, back in uh, 1997 and 2000. You, know, right. then you have on pride and it's very impossible to maintain. And, I see. and we, don't like, we don't like that model. So if right. um, there are some uh, software startups, they started to entertain um, those businesses then that's not a very scalable business. So uh, right. we we, right. we stay away from those uh, startups. I see, I see. So uh, yeah, on-prem would be pretty difficult. But you were describing uh, you know private versus public cloud uh, kind of so solution uh, for private or, or you know or, or public. What is the uh, you know what is the business model there? Like how how do these companies charge for the solutions is it by some sort of SaaS model, or is it like software licensing plus service? Uh, how do you think about that? I think for most of the mid-tier SMBs, they are uh, they are okay with the subscription model. So mm -hmm. normally they just pay on an annual basis, kind of like the Zoom subscription. You pay on an annual basis, okay. and then, uh, but for uh, large enterprises. Uh, mm -hmm. Some of them um, may not be willing to uh, pay on an annual basis, partially because their uh, budget constraint, because their 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 budget is not being set up that way. Particularly mm -hmm. for some of the stay-on enterprises, then mm -hmm. they can only uh, purchase the license. Mm -hmm. So, and some of the companies they they but you can charge them much more. Uh, uh, in the deal. So instead of say, you know, 100 grand, they may be willing to pay you 300 grand or 400 grand upfront, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and then after that, every year you charge like somewhere between 10 to 20% uh, the service charge. So that's, uh, in some cases you have to do that. Yeah. And, but I think more and more uh, companies uh, are willing to pay uh, on a subscription basis. That's a mm -hmm. good sign. Yeah. Yep. 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 Totally. I mean, uh, I still remember the days when um, a lot of the software—well, not all the software, but you know, quite a bit of software was uh, you know copied uh, or ripped. And then uh, Microsoft Word and like Office was all free, and like Excel was free, and and there's no really no point for like really buying software. You can just do everything in Excel anyways. 
Uh, we're, mm -hmm. we're far from those days, <laughs> clearly. Um, and also wanted to ask you, uh, Peter. So you know, COVID clearly happened <laughs> over the past yep. year and a half. That was that was a big deal yep. all around the world. Um, what was for you in China? What was the impact of COVID, and how did it affect this uh, sector and uh, the development of this of this area? I think um, similar to the state, uh, it has a great, um, you know, very positive positive impact on mm -hmm. SaaS and cloud companies. For example, um, we would not imagine that you know the Ministry of Housing uh, in China and also the uh, you know a couple of other ministries would issue policies encouraging uh, you know companies to sign contract with their employees digitally. And if you want to rent a apartment or you want to buy a house, you know, the government encourage you to sign the contract digitally. So uh, I think due to COVID, uh, that digital transformations uh, become much faster. And mm -hmm. for another example is recurrent that we talked about. And right. during COVID time, um, you know, people started to know that they can get sick, so they wanted to buy insurance, but they, they don't want to meet with uh, insurance agents, right? right and then, right. you know, the online uh, meetings uh, and become the norm, and then there are a lot of uh, telesales conversations that need to be facilitated and, you know, and tracked. And then the right. telesales people need to be empowered. And so I think COVID really helped a lot um, along the way. If you look at some of the um, you know, uh, software, uh, enterprise software companies that have been listed, their stock price has gone through the roof in the past you know, 18 months, give or take. Yeah, yeah. For sure. I mean, that definitely see that in the US and you know, seems comparable in China. On recurrent, uh, really interesting company. I mean, as you described what they do, it got me thinking. They do basically record all types of audio, right? Like audio, video calls, everything. Uh, you know, kind of sales focus, yes. But um, if they leverage their NLP and uh, capabilities, I guess, uh, like feasibly, like conceivably, they can provide service in areas beyond just uh, improving sales conversion as well. Um, like, I wonder if you're able to share some of that. Like, are, like, are you thinking about other directions for the technology as well, where it's strictly focused on sales, like Gong and uh, Chorus.ai are? Um, there are quite a few other applications. By the way, they actually don't record uh, the conversations. It's really their clients already recording those conversations. For example, in the US, you know, when you, uh, you know, get into a conversation, mm -hmm. They will mm -hmm. prompt you, you know, this conversation will be recorded for training purpose, right? So mm -hmm. those enterprises are already recording uh, the conversations for their own training or quality right. assurance purposes. Right, and right. They're just getting the, those recordings from their clients mm -hmm. and, uh, and pretty much helping their clients understanding, you know, um, if you uh, encounter the prospect uh, asking you this question, uh, you should respond this way. Uh, mm -hmm. That will give you a higher probability of closing this deal. So mm -hmm. um, obviously, education, insurance, banking, or the you know the current the the main sectors, 
but real estate, for example, uh, car dealerships, and even consumer. I mean, imagine um, PNG and Unilever each, they have about 10,000 promoters working at Walmart, Carrefour, you know, and mm -hmm. those promoters have conversations with consumers on a daily mm -hmm. basis. Right, right. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I think sense. there are a lot of uh, use cases uh, yeah. you know, in, in different uh, industries, a lot limited right. to education, insurance, banking, and mm -hmm. you know, pretty much all of the cases where you have salespeople interacting with uh, prospects. Definitely. I mean, I was thinking even uh, like you know, concierge services at a hotel or like front desk uh, and like how best to service some of the clients. Absolutely. Guess, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, some of that it's sales, but some of that is also just customer service and improving the, uh, the, the end user experience or the, the customer experience. Um, yeah, I think that's really cool. Um, yeah, but they want to go to the, uh, the sectors that the clients are most willing to pay. And and education, yep. insurance, and banks. Those are, those the, are the, the biggest the big ones. ones. Yeah, makes yeah. sense. Makes sense. Okay. Um, all right, Peter. Well, you know, I'm conscious of your time. It's getting pretty late. Uh, I want to ask you one more thing, which is, uh, so what's next? Right, you just raised Eminence Venture Fund Two, uh, quite a large fund, about 120 million dollars. Uh, how are you thinking about deploying that? And what are you particularly excited about over the next, uh, let's just say, five, ten years period? Um, I think uh, we have uh, we have made three investments so far, and then uh, we will probably have about twenty portfolio companies in our fund too. Mm -hmm. And so we are still in the early phase. Um, and in some of the sectors, we are uh, pretty excited. One will be the WeChat or the uh, WeCom, which is the previously called WeChat Work. The enterprise WeChat, uh, oh, space. Okay. The, the, okay. yeah, the 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 entire WeChat ecosystem, um, uh -huh. and another one is what we call um, deep collaboration, and this is coming from Emergence. If you go to Emergence website, uh, I think one of their uh, GPs, uh, Jake, wrote an article about deep collaboration, and uh, I think that is another area that uh, we are excited. And in fact, uh, mm -hmm. the three companies that we have invested so far, they are in the deep collaboration uh, area. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. and obviously industry cloud, there are so many industries. Uh, and then we are also um, looking into um, infrastructure software related to data. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. because uh, as Got you can imagine, there will be so much data being accumulated um, and there will be a lot of tools, um, you know, yeah. um, and applications that are needed uh, for, um, for handling, processing, uh, and, and, you know, and doing all kinds of things related to data. Yeah, it sounds like there's plenty for you and your team to sink your teeth into. There's just a lot that's developing and a lot to invest in and uh, invest in and help nurture. Um, so best of luck to you, Peter, and to your team. Uh, hopefully you can invest in more and help build more uh, cloud unicorns in China. Yeah, thank you so much for your time and uh, for the interview as well. No worries at all. 
Uh, hope you have a good night.